Hi guys, my name is Olivia and welcome or welcome back to the safe space of Heavenly Feminine. So this is the second part to Beck's story where she'll be speaking more in depth on her battle in the justice system. So if you haven't listened to the first episode, I highly suggest you go listen to it as it flows directly into this one. And if you didn't know, Beck is a victim survivor of um, institutional child sexual abuse. So if this is a trigger to you, please tread lightly into the episode. Otherwise, don't forget to send Beck and her company lots and lots of love. You can find her on Instagram at unearth, full stop, underscore, which will also be in the show notes. So enjoy this part of the episode because it boggled my mind. I learned so much about not only Beck's story, but the New South Wales justice system. So stay tuned and let's go. Mm. onwards <laughs> I wanted to also ask because I noticed one of your posts was about a lot of books you've read and how it seemed like <laughs> reading was also another outlet of healing for you yeah. um, I was wondering if you have a top one or two books that you recommend <laughs> for people in the process of healing or um, people who are just even needing that outlet of hearing someone's story to validate their own yeah um for sure I think reading has been such a um such a helpful tool I, I think that if I take out all the things I've read I would be far less understanding of myself or what I've been through so yeah reading something um that directly works against feeling isolated you know like that's the thing these situations are so isolating they make us yeah. our brains tell us that we're the only one that's experienced this so we should keep it on the inside but something about reading somebody else share that your ex- an experience which is very similar to yours and how they process it it just set, it set me free to be honest so mm-hmm. I um I have a couple that I could think of like two in particular they probably are a little bit niche but I think that's kind of the beauty of it. Yeah. <laughs> Something when I read it, I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is so my experience." Yeah. Um, and there's one called "The Courage to Heal." Uh, it's written for victim survivors of child women survivors of child sexual abuse. Mm. So it's very specific. It's for women, and it's for sexual abuse in childhood. Mm. But again, I think there's actually a lot of women more than what we give credit to that actually have had that experience so it's called the courage to heal by ellen bass and laura davis and it kind of it can be a bit like a workbook it asks questions there's not space for writing within it but it really is like a tool um and it compiles heaps of stories of all these survivors so i've got a real Mm. vast understanding of different ways that people respond to child sexual abuse and um yeah it was just so healing I actually had a pen (laughs) and I was underlining and just copying things across to my notes and um there were moments when I just stopped and put my hand over my heart and just kind of cried and Mm. just set myself free like you know those those moments of that avalanche grace of being like oh I'm not alone in this and the way I responded to this was okay it was normal it was healthy um yeah so that book and the other one is called Witness by Louise Milligan Mm. Um, she's a journalist Uh, you've probably heard of her she's done some like pretty well-known pieces of yeah of work and she um, 
this book is called The Brutal Cost of Seeking Justice. So it's very specific mm. to the process of disclosure, disclosure to police. It's, it's, she's a New South Wales journalist, so she's written about our, our police here and our judicial system here and um and as someone who you know spent seven years in that in that justice system legal system um it just was very validating and it I for me it was very validating I read it towards the end of my experience and it made me feel a sense of vindication I'm like yeah that's what happened to me and that was outrageous and I'm glad someone has seen this you know yeah and someone's writing about this but on the other hand I could see how if I had read it before if I was just going into this stage now of disclosure and wanting to perhaps go through the police and through the legal system, it would have been, it probably would have crushed my expectations, my high hopes, mm. but I actually think that's really necessary. Um, I wish that my high hopes and my expectations had been crushed before, yeah. <laughs> not along the way. So to some extent, I think it's a very like, controlled way for someone to learn about the reality of the the brokenness of the legal system mm. um and then they can kind of have make that conscious decision whether that's something that they're willing to go through mm. or not you know yeah. um so yeah witness by louise milligan and the courage to heal by ellen bass and laura davis yeah i'm really yeah. looking into reading some so sound amazing mm. but yeah it just when you were just talking about the brokenness of the law and the legal system it was making me think about um I did hear sometimes how you felt like you might wanted to give up I think that's something Mm. you mentioned once um or maybe it was a comment I think maybe I, I have read some of your mum's comments on your your unearth mm. profile. Yeah. Maybe it was her. She yeah, my mum's my biggest fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where she's mentioned um, that you possibly um, had those moments where you didn't want to find anymore because the legal system was so outrageous. But yeah. you kept going and that's one of the things I remember growing up I admired the most about you because to me you can also imagine same age as your youngest brother uh you were just like a role model of mine even (laughs) and I you to me you always seem so strong and even though I now know those times that I first really like looked up to you you were maybe at one of your points where you didn't feel that strong and then also looking at you now and how you're able to say, yeah, those things were outrageous. Those things were not right and I'm not going to stand for it. Like that's the type of person I'm working to become. Mm. And yeah, I don't know. I just really mm, admire you. That's so heartwarming. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Thank you, Olivia. Yeah. I admire you similarly. I think so fondly of you in that, yeah, like I, I, know, I know the courage that it takes personally like I know that courage and when I see women step up Mm. to with that courage to as it's like an act of self-advocacy and advocacy for other women women and the sisterhood I yeah I have so much respect for it because it comes at a great personal cost and the vulnerability required is like can be kind of earth shattering Mm. like it can kind of change the whole trajectory of your life like what I was saying before um, but yeah, I really admire you for 
talking about this stuff and and yeah creating this platform Mm. to to have women hear the voices of other women Mm. to so that people can be set free you know yeah Yeah, Yeah. i admire that heaps thank you stop it you (laughs) stop it (laughs) so on to getting possibly one step deeper Mm -hmm. i was wondering if you wanted to also talk about maybe a little brush stroke deeper on your battle in the legal system um, and your journey with validating your own feelings. We, cause we talked a bit about your journey, but I want to know. Spill the tea. Yeah, spill the tea. How, how was this, um, did you have anything in particular that did really help you validate those feelings? Like, was that through the books you read or was it the people you met? Um, or the police even actually being in front of police Mm. officers and then being like, yeah, let's work on this, if that's Mm. how it even went. How Mm. was that aspect too? Yeah, so I guess the first part of that question is um, what happened, the legal system. You know, in my mind, I don't know whether to call it the legal system or the justice system. Mm. My, uh, My psychologist, when I used to say justice system, she should be like, she used to cut me off and say, Beck, legal system. And then the more I think about that now, because <laughs> she was trying to set me up, like, you're not going to get justice here, babes and doll. Right. Um, and I, <laughs> which is probably like, she was really good. It was appropriate at the time. Um, but now that I've kind of evolved, I think, you know what? They call it the justice system. So I'm going to call it the justice system and then have a direct contrast to all my stories of how it's so unjust and yeah. how there's such hypocrisy. Like it actually like <laughs> helps me to make my point of like the justice apparently system. Um, anyway, so my experience in the justice system uh, was, um, it was absolutely woeful. It was, um, I stand by the fact that it was worse than the abuse that I endured. Um, it was more degrading, defaming, humiliating. It was it was like torture, to be honest, and it robbed me of so much of my life. Like 2016, I went into it, and we're in 2022, and it's on. It's still going. I learned that the uh, the perpetrator, the accused person, has a whole set of cards basically <laughs> that are all of their rights. Um, and it's just like playing a game and they just keep drawing a card and every time they draw a card, exercise their right to, oh, I just like to get this non-publication order on my name so that, Mm. so that, you know, journalists can't publish my name because I feel like that's embarrassing to me, you know, and that, Mm. so they're entitled to that, which firstly, what the f***. Secondly, it's like that in itself is six months adjournment, like it's six months adjournment. They just keep like 12 months adjournment. They just keep, they they have so many cards to pull and I have, you know, I has read this thing one time and it was like, I did not have the right to remain silent. Yeah. The perpetrator had, had the right to they exercise their right to remain silent mm. and I didn't have that right. And so there's just, I just realized very early on that I didn't have a lot of rights to pull for on. Um, and he had a lot and that 
yeah, the system is equipped with professionals who work tirelessly to diminish every single detail of my suffering. And that all on its own is just it's a lot. Um, so with, I was actually jotting down the order. I, I, yeah, because yeah. I was trying to remember what happened because it was such a rigmarole. Um, and I <laughs> wrote this down. Goodness, I could go into it in further detail. But um, so I disclosed this abuse to the police in 2016, which I should add, I did not go to the police. The police came to me and said oh. to me, we're pursuing this whether you like it or not. So that wasn't a great start because because it had been a mandatory report lodged um, through the parties that I told. Then families and community services called onto it, and then they sent it across to a um, joint emergency response team, who then passed it to my local police, and the local police came to me. And so you so, maybe you could possibly didn't even feel ready because, like you said, when you're you were looking back at what you had read out to people around you. You were saying, it's okay, I'm fine, I just need to share I my story. I don't want to go to the police. Yeah, exactly. And then this just happens, boom. Yeah, yeah. and that detective who was in charge of the my case at that point was, yeah, incredibly unprofessional. And he – so there was all sorts of errors that the police made initially, which it came up later in the case, which is really disappointing. Um, yeah, he – actually said to me when he read my statement um, so I had to go to the police station mm. I, had write, I had to write my own statement which was like you know 14 pages long or something it was ridiculous um, and I ended up writing subsequent three statements as, as I remembered things later on mm. uh, and he said gee this reads a bit like 50 shades of grey You are and joking. I was just sitting there yeah and it was so patronising and I just remember being like sorry like I sorry oh, I couldn't believe I said sorry <laughs> in that moment um but yeah that wasn't a great start and he basically said like he he like this is going to be hard work back it's you know it's going to be rough so we got to really make sure we iron these things out and make sure you're just really clear on the story and it just wasn't very nice to begin with um and then so we we're in the legal court sorry in the local court for quite a period of time he kept exercising all these little rights such as a non-publication order on his name to protect himself um which i didn't have like any say in whether i thought that was appropriate he just said i feel like it's a threat i'm like my family aren't threatening we're not gonna like i don't know i just felt like i couldn't believe that he got to hide and run away and he was out on so he sorry summarizing this is what happened (laughs) um after i made my statement the police said it's your word against his could you please um participate in a tapped phone call where we record a phone call and you try and get admission from him and that admission will be will go to court Um, those admissions will go to court so Mm. i did that on my 18th birthday i sat yeah and did that yeah good foreshadowing um and then he answered and got some strong admissions they said that we have enough to arrest him however if this goes to court we're going to need more direct admissions so blah 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 back and forth he accused me of basically playing games like the perpetrator contacted me and said don't know what game you're playing out you're trying to paint me out to be some predator that I'm not um anyway and then I ended up he, he said I refuse to speak to you unless we meet in person I told the police that the police told me okay well let's meet with him in person and give you an undercover you know body wire body wire microphones all that mm. um so then I did that met with him 
most empowering story of my life. More on that later. Like, <laughs> I can't wait to tell that part of my story because mm. that was so, yeah, so empowering. Um, anyway, did that. They arrested him. He was charged, um, released on bail, and was out on bail until 2020, September. So he was integrated in the community still. He was um, in other local churches. He had a non-publication order in his name. So as far as anyone knew, he oh, he was free to roam the streets, a dangerous pedophile. And I resent the system for that. I think that's disgusting. Um, yeah, but so then there was, okay, this, I'll read this part because <laughs> this is where it gets a bit of a rigmarole. Um, so after his, subsequ- after his arrest, there were many local court hearings. Then there was a district court criminal trial. So we went into the Sydney, Sydney to the Downing Centre. Um, and on that day, there was this big issue how there wasn't enough judges. Mm. So they said, oh, sorry, not enough judges. I was in there for three days waiting in a hotel room, dressed. He was around as well in the city. Um, they said, just sit in your hotel room, wait, and we'll call on you and you'll have to come give evidence. Um, so I was waiting and waiting for three days. And then they called us in and said, hey, there's not enough judges. We're going to put your case at the bottom of the list and we'll come back in 12 months' time. This is the new trial date. And I, yeah, it shook me. I ended up in a psychiatric care unit because I was had suicidal ideation and were just – that was awful. Um, then 12 months later, at that second trial, um, there was a mistrial. So we got through the whole first half of the trial, the prosecution side. I gave evidence. We went for nine hours of giving evidence. So it was a lot to get through. Then when his wife took the stand on the defence um, defense's side, um, she went crazy on the stand and caused a mistrial. Um, so we had to let the jury go and it was adjourned again for a further 11 months. Mm. And then the third trial, um, the jury, you know, we did it all again. She didn't cause a mistrial this time. Um, 11 months later, we... So that was the third trial was 11 months later. Um, the jury found him guilty. I should say the initial indictment, like the, the list of charges, he was charged with over 40 counts. And by the last trial, we had six counts still standing. Oh, um, no. My whole experience with him over three years of being sexually assaulted multiple times a week was summarized as six charges. Um, the jury found him guilty on five charges. So those charges were four indecent assaults, um, indecent, aggravated indecent assaults, and one aggravated sex assault. There was another aggravated sex assault that he, that he was found not guilty on, and that was because I remembered it later. And they kind of said, how could you forget such a big thing? And which I know now, that's quite normal. A trauma-informed approach to that would know that that's normal to remember and recover memories later but the jury didn't say that so then um yeah he a few months after that he was sentenced to jail and the judge acted very lenient towards him and although his maximum penalty um was absolutely huge he was sentenced to 10 months in jail and he's out and walking free at the moment um so he served his time and now he's back out so um, six years in the system and he's actually appealed his his sentence to get his name wiped so there's currently an appeal underway um, 
yeah, six years and really seven, eight years is ongoing. And he got, he did 10 months in custody and he was moved to a really minimum security um, facility, like a really, I call it a health retreat. It looks like a health retreat. I wouldn't mind going there myself, to be honest. <laughs> it looks <laughs> relaxing. They've got like, a, you know, a gym and a library and You're a joking. veggie garden. And yeah, I'm just like, I, that sounds kind of lovely to me. And the <laughs> nice, like good quality meals that they cook in the, in the prison kitchen. And you're like, oh, anyway, it was just such injustice. It was such a huge injustice. Um, yeah, and along the way, I can't even, you know, I can't even begin to explain the things that were put to me in cross-examination about what I was wearing and that I was asking for it and, you know, all of that stuff we hear so often. That was my experience, that all of that was said to me. And Yeah, so that is a general summary of the system. And in terms of your question on what kind of was the support that got me through that, uh, helped me to keep going. I think it definitely was like the books that I read and the information that I was coming across, which slowly helped me to validate my experience. And and I also think like I was thinking, I think one of the questions that you had written down that you were thinking of asking was, is there someone that I looked up to mm-hmm. um, who provided me with like comfort? And I was thinking like there's not and then I thought, gee, that's a really rude thing to say. Like, what an ungrateful position. Like, no, I didn't look up to anyone. But I didn't. Like, there was no yeah. there was no one I looked up to. And I think that was the point, that I felt like there was no one who had experienced what I had experienced. However, the comfort um, that helped me to keep going when you, you're right, there was times when I was like, I'm giving up. I'm absolutely done. I have no reason to be in this. It's, it's not about me anymore. I don't care. It's not worth it. All of that. Um in those moments, it was other women in my life, my friends, who spoke into that um, and in a mixture of ways. Some of them validated me at the right time. Some of them kind of called, challenged me and really brought out my purpose for why, why I was in there and, yeah. you know, asked me some tough questions. And they showed me, like I had this you know, plethora of women with all these all of these experiences of trauma and things that they had been through, which were different, right? But they had overcome some really rough things in their life too. And I looked at them and how they had overcome awful situations and I leaned into that, into their strength and their courage. So I didn't necessarily look up to anyone, but it was my, it was the sisterhood, honestly, (laughs) that provided me with that comfort to keep going. Um, And I don't, I would have given up, hands down, would have given up without them. There's a few pinnacle key conversations along the way that, yeah, yeah. I don't think I'd be alive without those conversations, to be honest. So, yeah. Yeah, and that is, in a way, I think that knowledge can be empowering to someone else who may be in the same shoe being like, huh, I don't have someone to look up to. Like, I feel like I don't have that one person that I can mm. look at and be like, hey, that's my situation. They got through mm. it, I can. And that's yeah. hard. That shit is so hard when you do feel like I'm truly on this battle alone. So that is really beautiful as well to be able to acknowledge. And like you said, not all of them were at the right time comfort wise 
right there for you there were times where you were challenged mm-hmm. where you had yeah. to really have your fighter emerge mm-hmm. and battle through it but yeah, definitely wow like because mm-hmm. i i'm who well, i'm at a loss for words <laughs> that legal mm-hmm. battle justice sister battle is insane that genuinely sounds like something that i would hear in a fictional story yeah <laughs> and i'd yeah. be like it was wow. like i was living through it thinking this is like a movie this yeah. is like honestly it's like a movie yeah <laughs> and i can just imagine yeah. people there sitting on their couch watching and being like wow i'm so pissed right now this is so bad yeah yeah but it's real and yeah and it happens every day and people don't like i didn't know of how bad it is. My local government and justice system is this way. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. At some point along the way, I was raised to believe that, you know, the police are good and they're there to help you. And if you have something bad happen, they'll help you and you'll be, that person will be brought to justice. And, you know, the courts, that's what court is. You know, if something bad happens, we'll go and there'll be justice. And it is just so far from that. And it makes me think, wow, like what, at what point did I learn that? along the way that 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 was the that's what it looked like um because everything it just came crashing down to be honest that um yeah the whole sense of relying on the system to bring justice it just doesn't there are good people in there I will say that there are very good people along the way Mm. but I feel that the system is fundamentally broken there's much that I've got a lot to say on that I won't go into it all now um but generally, the the way that our justice system works is innocent until proven guilty, which means that, yeah, the perpetrator, the accused person, is seen as has presumed innocence until they're proven guilty, which means that the whole thing, every little detail is tipped in the favour of the accused person. Yeah. So the whole thing, all of, yeah, they're afforded all of these rights and the kind of the victim is characterized as the person who's making it up and that needs to be we need to debunk their theory because we need to it's interesting they don't need to prove that the accused person wasn't there mm. they just have to disprove that i'm telling the truth like and how it insane. doesn't it doesn't make sense you know it's just yeah for a system that's meant to be there to support victims mm. and their voice but instead they're just trying to use that voice against them it's it's not on <laughs> it's, yeah it's not honestly, like i can't believe it and so what would you say if there was a survivor out there and through the legal system or justice system or not, even though it was hard, what would you say to them about speaking up? How would you encourage someone to speak up? Yeah, I, I've thought a lot about this because I'm conscious that my experience um, it could be a huge deterrent from people, for people from going through the, the avenue of you know the police and the courts and everything. 
um, part of me thinks, well, good, it should be a deterrent. <laughs> like, mm. I, should, I wish I had have known someone's story like this yeah. before I went into it. Um, so to some extent, I do feel like that. On the other hand, I would not have it any other way and I'm glad I went through it. And I have friends that have gone through it and made it through right to the end. And then there's something about that, about um, something about getting to the other side of that process. It's pretty amazing. Mm. Um, what I would say is that you definitely do not need to go through that avenue to experience freedom mm. from the hurt and from the, the trauma. You definitely don't need anybody to validate any external parties to validate what happened a handful of friends or one other person to believe you and say I hear you and I'm so sorry you went through that it is enough to fully recover your life and to heal um I would say that if if somebody wants to tell the police uh and go through that route power to them I say go for it um just read up on what you might be in for speak out those get in touch with other survivors of that Mm. and just equip yourself because the disappointments along the way were the hardest part Um, but if you have more reasonable expectations because of you know factual information it might make it a whole lot more bearable to be honest Um, because your eggs aren't all in that basket you know so I would say my key thing I'd say is you have to know your purpose for why you're there initially I went into it well I didn't go into it I was (laughs) pulled into it but initially when I was went into it I was there for I had three reasons it was for myself for my for for his wife who I loved and had a relationship with and for others Mm. but really it was just that that was a theory right and I went in for firstly for the sake of of myself and when I realized that the system doesn't care about me at all they're happy for me for me to be traumatized for another 12 months you know after the first trial each trial had a new like awakening for me of the deeper reason so and I realized I don't need this system to, to tell me that mm. I can be free. Like, I don't need that. So after the first trial, I dropped that off. And then it was all about the, one of the, the, uh, the Crown Prosecutor, he said to me, oh, this whole tactic of adjourning it for 12 months, that can be common. And that's often used as a tactic to try and shake off the victim and get them to pull out um, mm. because it's such a long thing to endure. And when I heard that, I thought, I'll show them. Yeah. <laughs> so just a little bit of indignation came like, watch me, watch me not go anywhere. So then the second trial, that was kind of my motive. Like, watch me. You thought I was going to quit. Here I am. And then actually when that all fell apart, when there was a mistrial, I thought, no, that's not even enough of a reason to stay. I don't need to prove anything to them or anyone. Mm. So then you know, went to quit again. But the last time when I came back, I really, really deeply realized this was about others. I could not sleep at night personally knowing that he was out there, a dangerous person with no no sense of any consequence or recognition of what had happened because the crimes that he committed are absolutely so dangerous, very dangerous, high risk of reoffense, despite what the, the system says. says he's got low risk of reoffense. So I think that's an interesting <laughs> point of view. Um, but, yeah, I... It became about others. I just pictured another girl in my in my my position. Sorry, I pictured another mm-hmm. girl be in that position with him, and I just could not. I could. I had to do everything that I, in within my power to prevent that from happening. So I would say to another, you know, victim survivor, 
to kind of if you don't need it you don't need to go down that route if you do choose to then as best as you can equip yourself follow people on instagram that have gone through it get in touch with different survivor groups and just hear some truth about what it's like um the good and the bad um and then know your real know your purpose because that every they strip off everything from you you're left with nothing it's so degrading and humiliating but if you have that purpose that you hold on to that's kind of unshaken at the end um that will get you right through to the end yeah Mm. wow and even (coughs) wow (laughs) and even again drawing back to how you said unfortunately you look back and go hey I didn't have someone to look up to it must be liberating to look back as well and say despite not having a person to look up to I got through it with myself Mm. me myself and I got through that despite how much you were torn down and that's not not everyone can say that Mm. so good on you Mm. and doing it for people too doing it for that potential other girl who could be in that Mm. position with your perpetrator or another one people are learning and I'm hoping girls Mm. are learning to speak up yeah I was just thinking um that if there are any women that have started this process and then quit along the way or in it now and thinking of quitting or whatever, or they don't make it right till the end, whatever the end is, because it's not really an end because it's just a whole lot of injustice, <laughs> injustice on the other side. But mm. um, if there are any women that have done that, I feel like power to them because it takes incredible, incredible self-awareness to say, you know what, it's it's an act of self-advocacy actually to say, no, no, I, I will not be treated like this mm. and I will not tolerate professionals treating me like this and actually I'm out tapping out Mm. and I actually although like I would hate for people to see that as a failure if they they pulled out I know that I would have struggled with that myself if I stopped you know the three times that I thought I was going to um but I just want to say that's a I see that as an act of self-advocacy where you draw Mm. the line in the sand and you say look this is none of whatever you outcome you guys can bring here it is not worth it I will not be treated like this and that self-advocacy that will get you through life. You'll find freedom, you know, <laughs> with, yeah. if you keep carrying that self-advocacy. So I just want to throw that in there as well, that if people don't make it to the end, whatever the end is, the elusive end, um, it is absolutely still a remarkable mm. thing to do. Mm. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm. Um, mm. I had one more point that I also wanted to touch on, which is about your Christianity Mm-hmm. how has this experience impacted your relationship with your Christianity? Because I have heard of experiences of sexual assault and abuse and molestation within religious um, spaces, which are meant to be open, free, mm-hmm. safe spaces. And when this occurs, it can really... It can destroy that relationship. So I wanted to know, did you ever have periods where you felt disconnected or did your did it strengthen your relationship? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. I 
definitely, yeah, firstly, we'll acknowledge that institutional abuse, particularly in the church, is so common. It's so common and it's such a deep hypocrisy because it's the people that are, you know, claiming to represent God Mm. doing such just vile things. And, yeah, I mean, all abuse is absolutely disgusting, but there's something about the hypocrisy in that. Um, 100%. That is, is so jarring. And, yeah, um, like, I mean, like you've heard, I've been closely involved with the church, and at, to this point I'm still closely involved with the church. Um, I honestly, I brought into question along the way, like around the time of my disclosure, I, the question I asked for myself, not from what my parents' opinion was and not what the religion or the denomination's opinion was, but I asked like, and I researched and I sought God for the answer to this question. And it was like, why did this happen to me? Did God orchestrate for this to happen to me? Because, yeah. the, you know, there'd been a part of my upbringing that was like, oh, you know, God never gives you anything you can't handle. And, you know, it's no temptation or like mm. no it's not too bearable you can lean on god sorry it's not too unbearable it's not going to be pushy beyond what you can handle and, and people say it's god, all you know, part of god's plan all about god's plan exactly yeah. all things together all things work together for good and all of that stuff and that had definitely been the rhetoric in my upbringing i had to bring that all into question and the answer that i found which is obviously a deeply personal question for everyone you know mm. to ask themselves but I landed in a place where I fully believe that, no, God did not orchestrate for this to happen. It's not possible because he is good and you're not capable of inflicting bad things onto me. But that the invitation is that, like, so the people do the really vile stuff because they're broken mm. and that the invitation from God is to get right in there in the mess and say, um, like, will you let me redeem this? And, you know, that process of healing, of taking taking something that was a bad experience and has negative impacts and actually reframing it, mm. adding value to it and then adding it to my life to make me, you know, a bit like a, who I was born to be, really. So, yeah. so in terms of my faith, I asked some very big questions. And during that time, I did kind of have to take a step back from the, you know, my involvement in the church a little mm. bit um but it honestly solidified my faith i think and that's really beautiful um yeah it was uh, and i honestly see like the the courage that people look see in me and the bravery that people see in me uh, i know hands down that that's my faith like I, I know that those moments when i thought i couldn't go on anymore and i decided to was god at work in me and comforting me and empowering me to be able to to endure so that's kind of my personal faith perspective and in terms of my relationship with the institution which for the record I have very much had to separate that God and the institution yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I love the church I am fully on board with the concept of the church people who are trying to re- replicate Jesus and you know help to heal the world around them I'm yeah. all on board with that but I will c- gladly separate myself from people who call themselves Christians that do vile things. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not with that. Yeah. <laughs> that's not the cut. That's not what I'm about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think from it, my relationship with the church point of view, I had just a, sol- a few solid Christians 
I wouldn't say, yeah, the institution was great in response to me mm. because to some extent the institution wasn't great. To some extent the institution enabled my abuse. So there's definitely issues there. And actually I've raised that with the institution and I've gone through a process in which I've actually met with representatives from the wow. denomination at a, at a like, you know, leadership level and at a local level. And we've had kind of some reconciliation. It's called the National Redress mm. Scheme. Where it connects the, the institution and the victim to have a conversation. And mm. So I've gone through those avenues. It's been helpful for me to separate my relationship um, so that now I don't see the church as a representation of God. Um, but I just feel that I was blessed with a handful of people in a very good church who had who were kind of no bullshit kind of Christians. <laughs> they had yeah. been they'd walked the walk. They had had like intense suffering, and they have found God in it. And there, that's my like that's how I see my relationship with the church. I think it was those people who reflected God to me that kept me in the church. And yeah. you know, and I would love for like I know that that's now someone that I am hopefully kind of a no bullshit kind of Christian that yeah. um, makes people feel like they can just ask the questions if they've got them and feel comforted and and that they can go through some really intense stuff and and have got like you know when they're alone they have got there and I would hope that that's the, what the church is doing you're helping to cultivate more people that are like that mm. in the world because I think we need more people like that less legalistic and less about the rules and more about helping people know that they're not alone and that they're deeply loved and yeah. yeah. So that's my relationship with the institution in light of all of the everything that I've walked through. And yeah. Mm, I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> well, on to the end question. We had a couple. Um, there was a couple moments where you said amazing things that can speak to other women and other girls. I was wondering if you did have anything in particular out of all of that that we spoke about today, <laughs> if you could pass down on anything to a young girl that you've taken on board while growing up as a woman and through this experience, what would it be? It would be listen to your body, learn to listen to your body um, and I think that that encompasses like your emotions, like listening when you're feeling a bit threatened or a bit sad or feeling grief or happiness or pleasure and all of these things just to listen and be embodied. It's a bit like of a woo-woo <laughs> concept, but I really learned that's been a big key in my healing because as I've listened to my body, I've found that I found the things that set me on fire inside and I know I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to keep yeah. going where the light pours in, keep going where I feel alive. Um, and also where, because of abuse, I had been so disembodied, completely disassociated from my body, separated from the experiences. So if we as women can take back where we've been disembodied and sit and shut our bodies and our minds off and actually have our body, our mind, our spirit, our soul, all of it, mm. all like woven and in the present moment, there is like, there's so much power there. We can, when we have limits, we can embrace the limits. When we have pleasure, we can fully embrace the pleasure. When we have sadness and grief, empathy, we can fully embrace empathy. So that's what I'd mm. say, like learn to listen to the cues of your body and 
and I think that irons out lots of issues with our relationship to our bodies and our minds and our hearts and all that so Mm. yeah that's what I'd say yeah that's beautiful I I remember when I was going to therapy initially one of the biggest things I had was with validating my body cues and my feelings in particular my emotions and that was a big thing I had to learn how to validate my feelings and to feel Mm -hmm. them and I remember once um, they had me close my eyes and they read me out like a passage on um, letting the emotions flush through me actually just Mm -hmm. letting myself feel them because I was growing up in an environment where if I was sad I was told you've probably heard it before why are you sad just it's like a switch just flick it you'll be happy be happy yeah mm. your mind's a computer you have full control da, 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 da. and so I grew up being I know I'm not meant to be sad I know I'm meant to you know be able to flick it off but I can't and so mm-hmm. I thought I was so smart because I knew I wasn't meant to be sad <laughs> But for some reason, I didn't have an ability to yeah. to change it. Found out I had some social anxiety and depression along the way. Mm. <laughs> and they had to teach me, your feelings are valid. That's not a friend voice in your head telling you yeah. that. Like you and I had to do exercises and it just really Mm. made me feel it when you were saying embrace it when you feel that passion when you feel that sadness when you feel the empathy and being able to yeah just let it flush through you let it really embody you Mm. um and listening to that it it's so powerful for both what you can do and even again just having that self-validation can Mm change the whole course of your life so I love that advice Mm. yeah I think it deeply connects us with other people Mm. and with the world around us and the the natural environment around us like it just makes us like uh, grounded I love that word grounded Mm. when we walk around on this earth grounded in who we are and what's happening around us and uh, in tune with the lives of others around us we just live as more it, we're just better humans I think and yeah. um we just walk more sensitively and act more kindly and pursue justice um actually there's this scripture which is kind of a bit of a mantra which is like um act justly love mercy and walk humbly Ooh. and I think when we act like justly it's not like we're just passive like oh wow life's so beautiful and uh, but it's like when we're deeply connected with empathy we act Mm. justly and we love mercy and we walk humbly and I just love that I really love that it's cool isn't it yeah it's beautiful yeah well thank you so much for your time (laughs) today is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to bring up I think we covered it. We covered a lot. So thank yeah. you for having me. That's um, okay. And yeah, it's so important that we can talk, use our voices. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Use our voices, listen actively to other women. Mm. Check out Unearth. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at Unearth on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Unearth <laughs> underscore full stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And in saying that, anybody who's listening or anyone that you come across, Olivia, um, that 
is walking through something, mm. you know, or experiencing hurt and wounding and trauma, whether it's about, you know, child sexual abuse like we've discussed or any other sort of just pain and wounding, I think it's important that they know that they're not alone. Like 100%. they might hear us and not know us, but um, I mean, you know, like you're my little brother's best friend. Yeah. Uh, we <laughs> haven't really had a, a relationship of our own until up until this point. Mm. Um, but even this just reminds me that like we're so not alone. Like, you know, you're a few degrees move, removed from my life and here we are having this conversation. And yeah. I think it's important for women to know that there are always women around them that are there, you know, that they're not, they're yeah. really, really not alone. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Mm. If you need to reach out, reach out. Reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much again. Hopefully we can have you on again. Oh, <laughs>